Good morning. This feels a little bit high. I don't know if I know how to do this. second lesson this morning is from Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, grant me justice against my accuser. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for this parable. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and minds to hear your word to us this morning. So we're continuing in Luke. Jesus is still journeying to Jerusalem, getting closer and closer, where he will eventually be crucified. This morning we are presented with two characters, a judge and a widow. I think it would be hard to find two characters more unlike one another in the biblical world. They are each stereotypical symbols occupying two entirely different places along a continuum of power and privilege. A judge carried a symbol of power, prestige, God's favor, and the widow symbolizes powerlessness and vulnerability. In a patriarchal world where women depended on men for protection, support, and a place to belong, the widow has none of these. Because she brings her case to a single judge rather than to a tribunal, indicates this is probably a matter of money, a debt, a pledge, or perhaps a portion of an inheritance that is being withheld from her and is probably essential to her survival. But before we get comfortable with this predictable cast of characters and setting, Jesus, as we've seen him do so often in this gospel, upends our expectations and safe categories. He turns the picture sideways and tells the story slant. He wants us to brush up against the vision of the kingdom of God. He does this by casting the widow as the unlikely hero of this tale. The vulnerable, destitute widow is the one that Jesus offers for us as embodying power and as one who holds fast to justice. She persists with nothing but her gumption and wit, despite the unjust judge and the power structures which threaten to throw her off course. 
the heartless judge begrudgingly relents to her pleadings. And Luke continues his brief retelling of this short and peculiar parable with an assurance of God's eager willingness to grant justice. And he calls the Christian community to hold fast to their faith. What a curious set of verses. Well, to get started, it is good for us to recall that the Christian community of Luke's time was waiting for Christ to return. In fact, that, in fact, that is just what the preceding verses from chapter 17 are all about, the coming of the kingdom, the return of Christ, and when it will take place. And so as Luke recalls this parable that Jesus would have told decades prior, he leans into one of his favorite themes prayer. This would have been top of mind for him as the small Christian communities in the ancient Mediterranean world were trying to make sense of their lives under an oppressive Roman Empire, waiting for Christ to come back. So as we read these verses, let's hold Luke's guidance to prayer and to keep the faith. And we also look to the parable itself, which begins in verse 2, which Jesus seems to solidly ground in God's justice. So for this morning, I would like to sit with two motifs that are woven throughout the passage and the Gospel of Luke, and that is justice and prayer. God's justice and persistent prayer. So justice. And in the situation of our parable, justice in an unjust world. As I reflected on this and the widow's situation, I couldn't help thinking about the podcast Mobland, which I highly recommend. Um, I listened to the podcast this past year, and it's a retelling of the stranglehold that corruption had, and sadly at times still does have, on our beloved Chicago particularly in the 70s, 80s, and into the 90s. The podcast recalls a time when politicians were bought and justice was sold, where for the right price, even murderers could walk free. Jesus has framed up a similar world of corruption for us in our parable, where this widow must appeal to a judge who himself is unjust, the lack of detail in this little parable has helped many throughout time and across different spaces and places identify with the utter helplessness and hopelessness of this kind of situation. It belongs to every vulnerable person at the bottom of the heap whose urgent and continuous appeals are met only by endless delay and ongoing injustice. In sketching this dark and bleak picture, Jesus is pointing to the character of God, which is completely opposite from the tangled web of injustice oppressing our widow. God's character is opposite that of the unjust, impervious judge and is more in step with the widow's unwavering commitment to justice. We hear in Jesus' words, and will not God grant justice to his chosen ones? Will he delay? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. We hear in these words of verse 8 an affirmation of the faithfulness of God. We are given a peek into the heart of God 
God's longings and intentions for this world. I came across several New Testament scholars who point to this word quickly in verse 8 as a word that also means certainly and surely to point us to the important truth, which is that despite how it sometimes seems, God stands in solidarity with justice. God is justice. The widow's dogged commitment to justice is consistent with the unrelenting nature of God's commitment to justice. The kingdom of God is branded by it, and Jesus is reassuring us that it cannot be contained or reversed. It is breaking in. It's like a sunrise. It will envelop all things in a solid and whole embrace. But there is more to this passage than the assurance of God's certain commitment to justice and heart for the disenfranchised, wonderful as that is. We are also asked by the apostle to pray always and are invited to this vivid, even comical picture of a powerless yet determined woman who propels the plot of this story from conflict to resolution through engaged prayer. This brings us to our second motif, prayer, or persistent prayer, or prayerful persistence. I was laying in bed in the middle of the night a couple weeks ago, shortly after I'd first started researching and digging into commentaries on our passage, and I was awakened to the sound of my four-year-old tiptoeing into our bedroom, and I was delighted that she chose to approach my husband's side of the bed to share about her bad dream as I snuggled down deeper into the blankets. I heard Dan offer words of comfort and get out of bed and gently walk her back to her room. And then maybe 15 minutes or two hours later, I'm not exactly sure, I hear those same steps tiptoeing into our bedroom, this time a different tactic, my side of the bed. And this time it was about not having her water bottle with her. So I helped her get a, a sip of water from the sink and escorted her back to her bed. And I can't quite keep it all straight, but I believe the third visit happened an hour or two later back to her dad's side of the bed, probably with a complaint about her stomach hurting. As I tried to bury my head under my pillow and ignore her repeated attempts, it occurred to me that my daughter was being persistent, that she was relentless and determined. She knew her odds were low. The system was not built in such a way as to accommodate her four-year-old desires, and she does not carry authoritative clout in our family, but she kept at it. She persisted. She knew what she was after and she eventually did get what she wanted. Well, the stakes are much higher for our persistent widow. She keeps coming back, demanding justice against her accuser. The tense of the Greek verb indicates a repeated and continual action of pleading. She won't stop. She keeps bringing her case. Her very life is probably on the line. Does this not recall to mind so many widows and disenfranchised women in the scriptures that have persisted in their uphill battles for justice? Tamar and Ruth, seemingly powerless widows who took powerful 
bold, persistent steps to ensure their survival and that of the people of Israel. And throughout my study of this passage, I couldn't stop thinking about Rizpah. Please go and read her story in 2 Samuel 21, if you're unfamiliar with it, as I was just up until a couple years ago, and listen to Austin Channing Brown's amazing sermon on her prophetic and courageous actions in the face of injustice. Rizpah is the whistleblower who calls out mighty King David's abuse of power, which led to the sacrifice of her sons, all done in the name of power and politics. Rizpah refused to leave her sons, though they were left to decay on a hillside, not even allowed the dignity of a proper burial. She rejected this narrative and stayed by the side of her sons. She kept vigil for months and months. She refused to look away and so made it impossible for everyone else to do the same until power was forced to acknowledge this abandoned woman's persistent cries for justice. God give us the moral conviction and fortitude to be like Rizpah and stand up for truth, to not look away from the systems of injustice that plague our society and our lives. The Hebrew midwives Shifra and Pua, Tamar, Rizpah, Ruth, and our widow this morning all used their vulnerable stations in life to speak truth to power by their sheer persistence and subversive and unconventional tactics. Professor of New Testament Dorothy Jean Weaver, reflecting on our passage in Luke, says Luke has a name for this kind of persistence, prayer. After all, it's how Luke frames up the entire passage. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not lose heart. In other words, bold, urgent, active, persistent, impertinent prayer is the communicative means through which the injustice of the world is transformed into God's justice. And we see this radical and full-bodied call to prayer modeled for us in the parable of this widow, and we also see it in the very life of Christ. Jesus is constantly praying in Luke's gospel, at his baptism, in deserted places, on the mountain, off alone, on the Mount of Olives, and hanging on a cross. It is while praying that Jesus is transfigured in chapter nine, and it is through anguished prayer that Jesus receives the strength to face his death. So prayer is not a crutch for the weak. Prayer is often about courageously refusing to believe the way things are is the way they have to remain. It's about imagining how the world can be, bringing our laments and our doubts and our vulnerabilities, as Kelly shared with us this morning, to the divine who welcomes this persistent and raw, vulnerable engagement. It's where we confront our fears and draw on the strength of God, the enlivening of the Holy Spirit to persistently confront the systems of injustice that cripple us and the world. So as we conclude our time together this morning, thinking about these two motifs, 
of God's heart for justice and persistent prayer. If you're like me, maybe you're, you're a little confused and uncomfortable by the question that Jesus leaves us with. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I'll be honest, I don't fully understand this question. I start to get a little anxious when I read it. Is this a gotcha question? Is Jesus disappointed in me? Am I supposed to pray harder, work for more justice, keep my nose to the grindstone? What do I need to muster up within me to cover up my doubts and prove my faithfulness? Well, I don't think this is what Jesus is after, but it is hard for me to read the question and not hear old echoes of shame-driven promises to do better, to be better. Well, first, let's remember again together that these communities Luke is writing to are struggling to figure out how to live in a Roman-dominated world. They're trying to figure out how to build a Jesus-following community that honored their Jewish heritage while being fully welcoming to Gentiles. They were lamenting over the destruction of their temple that had been destroyed just a few years prior, and they were anxiously awaiting the return of their risen Savior, Jesus, but he was still not back. That's a lot that they were holding. I think this community may have been feeling confused and abandoned, much like the widow in our text, and perhaps much like us. We are not living under threat of persecution from a dominant empire, nor are we reeling from the recent destruction of a worship site that is central to our faith. But I think many of us can relate to this kind of despair and hopelessness that our foremothers and forefathers may have felt. We are struggling with the implications of our faith and our faith stories in a hurting world and a fragmented church. What does faith look like in times like these? How do we do business with this question from Jesus? I think we are being invited through Luke's retelling of this passage to keep our eyes fixed on Christ during these now and not yet times to rest in his faithfulness on our behalf. Remember, we have been journeying with Jesus to Jerusalem for a while now in our lectionary text, and we're very close. In Jerusalem, Jesus is going to take on all of this for us. His faithfulness will make way for our faith. How? He will become the ultimate widow in his lowliness, rejection, and suffered injustice. And in calling us to faith, he is signing up to do it with us, for us. God enters into human history and immediately identifies with the brokenhearted, the outcasts, those on the margins. Jesus enters in, God with us, Emmanuel, picking us up, grabbing our hand, the man of sorrows, very God, enters into exile with this widow, with the marginalized, and with us, with you, surrendering his power, and comes out the other side of it, having conquered and defeated death. Jesus jolts us into a new way of seeing. 
he asks us to leave behind stereotypes and wrestle with the unfamiliar notions about what God is like, what justice looks like. He asks us to turn to justice both for ourselves and for those around us. We, like Luke's Christian community, know that we worship a risen Savior who has defeated death and who will return again. As followers of this risen one, we are invited to wait. But as this widow demonstrates, waiting is not idle. It is active. It is persistent in our striving for justice, and it is persistent in our anguished, vulnerable prayers and laments. For we know that it is through this striving and engagement with God, we begin to know, learn, and walk in step with the heart of our just and loving God who is quick to come to the aid of God's people. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, thanks be to God.